Welcome to Valleys and Mountaintops with Gina. Today on the show, we have From Diagnosis to Dreaming Again with Dr. Jennifer Kayleen Carter. She has a passion for poetry and songwriting and is working as a professor and life coach for entertainers. She is the author of the book, When the Mirror Shatters, Breaking the Bondage of Performance Mentality. Before preparing to launch her book, she faced her own personal mountain, and today she's here to share her journey with you. Welcome to the show, Kayleen. Thank you so much. It is so great to have you here today. Could you just take a moment to fill in the gaps of my intro and tell us just a little bit about yourself, please? Well, I am a singer-songwriter. I recently released an EP called Kind of Like the Life I've Always Dreamed Of. I mention it towards the end of the book as well as my coaching business, Jules and His Crown Coaching. I mostly focus on working with female entertainers, uh, could be inner singers, dancers, models, actresses, uh, basically on self-esteem and goal setting. And I uh, recently you know, went through, like you said, my own valley about a year ago. I discovered complex PTSD, uh, which was at the time you know, just one line on the bottom of the PTSD page and the most recent version of the DSM, but it did not have, you know, its own page. And so that's something that has recently changed. It's now included in the ICD-11 as of a few months ago. So when I discovered complex PTSD, it was still sort of a theory, and now it's got a more solid backing from the psychiatric community and doctors, and so there's going to be a lot more research on it you know, coming up soon, but I've done a lot of research because uh, when I discovered this last summer, about a year ago, last August, it actually, you know, everything clicked into place and it made so much sense because I had been diagnosed with, you know, several different things over the years, at 19, fibromyalgia, at 24, PTSD, struggling with anxiety and depressive symptoms when I was about 29, uh, but never was actually diagnosed with those. And I found out that complex PTSD is sort of the umbrella, you know, over all the different symptoms I was feeling. They weren't isolated incidents. It was actually something that was affecting me since my adolescence and possibly childhood. And so it was manifesting all these symptoms throughout my 20s and 30s. And I've been formally diagnosed as a few months ago. Uh, So I just wanted to share some of the journey over the past year and how I've been healing. And I definitely appreciate your sharing because I know it's very helpful for people that are in that dark place still. And this is where we'll start kind of at ground zero. And I'll ask you to take us back to what would be considered your darkest or your hardest moment. And then together, we'll explore the steps that you took to get to where you are today. Well, uh, when I was eight years old, uh, my biological mother started physically abusing me until I was about 13. I had a neighbor who was sort of a grandmother figure, and she intervened at that time and was threatening to report her to the state. And so the beatings did stop after that. However, the beginning of my senior year, just a couple weeks into the school year, uh, actually, my mother assaulted me, and we were you know, in the car. She was driving. I just turned 18, but still needed to finish high school. You know, wasn't able to financially take care of myself without having a diploma, things like that. Uh, we were you know, 
heading to the house and she was driving and you know arguing with me very angry and she sort of snapped and started uh, beating my head in and she punched me maybe 11 times on the left side of my head and was grabbing my hair and shaking my head violently in between punches and since she was driving I didn't feel like I could defend myself or we could park the car possibly and so the minute we pulled in the driveway I got out of my car, ran in the house, passed on the thing, called my best friend, and ran away from home. So, you know, after that, I had to finish high school early. I had to find a job as a waitress to try to take care of myself, pay rent, figure out, you know, how to live life on my own. And, you know, since I was being abused for all those years, I had developed complex PTSD, you know, unbeknownst to me. And so that assault was very traumatic. That was definitely a low point. You can see that looking back now, but when you were in that place, were you so busy just trying to provide for yourself that you didn't even realize the depth of it? You know, I didn't. And one thing that concerned me was I I didn't uh, understand the law because everything was, you know, so new to me. And, you know, obviously I hadn't gone to college yet, had no reason to study law as a teenager. And I didn't understand the statute of limitations and that I only had three years in Florida, the state where I grew up, to report the assault. My best friend actually, you know, was pretty hysterical because I was in a daze and a state of shock and I wasn't speaking. You know, once I got through the initial phone call to ask her if I could come there for mm-hmm. refuge, um, the rest of the night she was sort of panicking because I was in a state of shock and she was scared. Well, she begged me to go to the hospital and my mother actually worked there um, as a physician's assistant. And so I knew that, you know, I lived in a small town and in my mind, um, I just thought, you know what, I'm in teen and um, I can just put this in the past and and I can just get away from her and it won't affect me anymore. Mm -hmm. Because I thought, you know, for sure she'd lose her job. She'd be on the front page of the paper in our small town the next day. She could be possibly arrested for attempted murder, you know, because of the place she hit me and the amount of times in my head, you know, that could definitely have turned out really badly. So uh, luckily, my best friend's mom was a former CNA, and she kind of nursed me for a few days from home until I could get better. So uh, I moved on, and I had no idea the depth like you're saying, of, you know, just the the damage that had been done, uh, you know, what she would do in the future. I thought if I could physically get out of the house, that I'd be okay. Um, I didn't get a restraining order two years later, but she turned most of my family against me after that, sort of in retaliation. And by the time I thought about, you know, renewing the restraining order, uh, you know, just started to see patterns in my 20s of, getting involved with abusive men, uh, you know, didn't realize a lot of the mindset that I needed to change, a lot of the healing. I didn't have insurance, which, you know, really held me back from getting the best treatment possible until recently, over the last year. And so, uh, you know, that's, I'm 37 now, and so I ran away, mm-hmm. you know, basically next month it will be 20 years. Yeah. And so I'm just now getting to a place where, you know, I feel like I've recovered and 
um, starting to thrive and not just survive. And so I feel like if I'd known, you know, all the, the things that I know now about abuse, I probably would have handled things differently. One thing that really stands out, you just said, is not just survive, but thrive. And I'm curious if you know what it was deep within you that kept you going to find that point. And I'm sure glad that you well, did. Well, I know that uh, one of the things I've always you know, had a talent for is goal setting. That's why I like to do this coaching and help other people and share that. Um, I really feel like I use that skill, um, even with my health. I read a lot of books when I was 19, or I book reading, and I got interested in psychology. And just in my 20s, I went to you know, codependency recovery groups. I went to a lot of counseling, free counseling through churches, at, you know, nonprofits, anything I could do on a sliding scale with the limited resources I had, putting myself through college. But throughout my 20s, I always had a tendency to read self-help books and, um, you know, just this past year, have learned to set goals regarding my health, you know, uh, mm-hmm. after the initial discovery of complex PTSD, I got a book uh, called The Body Keeps the Score, and I also got a, a complex mm-hmm. PTSD workbook, which was great because you could apply some of the knowledge um, immediately, you know, with your own situation, it's sort of interactive, and once I started looking at all the symptoms, you know, I have so much fatigue, insomnia, nightmares, uh, you know, just, just the laundry list of all the symptoms that you can have uh, with complex PTSD, which it comes from being abused for years and years uh, in a situation in captivity where there's really no escape. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that was the situation with me in the child abuse. You know, she said if I ever ran away that the cops would bring me back and it and I see now in retrospect that she followed through with that promise because she turned most of my family against me in retaliation mm-hmm. for the restraining order. So she kept her promise and it did get worse. After after I ran away, it did get worse. So I've really been on my own, uh, you know, as far as family is concerned, I've been on my own, moving to different cities and states to find work, uh, putting myself through college, not having a lot of support from them or understanding there's a lot of uh, you know dysfunction there as far as well it's in the past you know there's nothing you can do about it now and, you know as many people know with PTSD uh, it's not that you're wanting to be stuck in the past it's that you know you could have visual flashbacks uh, you have somatic symptoms your body is manifesting things like I had blood sugar issues that were just getting worse and worse and it turned out that um my adrenaline was overproducing, like I was stuck in fight or flight. Um, so I've had to work a lot of jobs recently as an adjunct, um, you know, having to work at multiple schools and juggle different jobs because there was a shortage of the full-time positions. And so that was really, I think, the thing that put it over the top for me this past year. And when it manifested physically, that's when I really started making it my health a priority. I went to a 10-day partial hospitalization. I did a six-week outpatient program, and I still see a therapist weekly. And so it's been about a year, and I'm just seeing, you know, a big difference. But that was just something that was ironic to me, that it had to manifest physically 
um, to the point where one time, you know, I fell down in a blood sugar related incident and fractured my wrist last summer. And, you know, I feel like that's the case with so many people. If you are hurt physically, you go get help. But, you know, when I was 19 and I got a fibromyalgia diagnosis, which was related to the trauma, and I see that now, but, you know, they were just saying, you know, it's kind of new, it's a set of symptoms, you know, there's no cure. You know, having the PTSD diagnosis um, in my 20s, you know, I researched it, and at the time there was not a lot of help available as far as there was a shortage. You know, after the war recently, they trained a lot more people in PTSD because there's not such a need for it for veterans. And so, you know, my 20s, I was discouraged because, you know, I knew that it was expensive. I'd have to go to a specialist and that it was rare to find one. Even now, there's only 10 hospitals approximately nationwide that treat complex PTSD. A lot of them just treat the symptoms. What gave you that awareness of the connection between the physical body? A lot of people, I don't, I don't think they get that, and they understand that when your body's sick, that it could be from something internal. Yeah, it's really, I think, the lesson I've learned through all this is to listen to your body. Uh, once I, I read that initial book and found out all the symptoms, uh, I realized that I could, you know, feel the symptoms every single day. I wow, this is happening all the time. So I think a lot of times, you know, with fibromyalgia, I would just start to tune my back pain out, um, you know, headaches, you know, difficulty concentrating. Um, I would, you know, just kind of manage. And, and, you know, in America, we like to push ourselves. You know, I had a tendency to be a workaholic, which talk about my book. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's a little bit of escaping and avoidance part of PTSD as well. Um, but really, for me, once I realized that, you know, all the symptoms were happening on a daily basis, that's when I said, hey, I think I need something intensive here, because this has been going on really all throughout my 20s and 30s, and, you know, the doctor said this blood sugar incident started when you were 10, so, you know, probably developed PTSD about two years after the physical abuse started, when I was only mm-hmm. 10, and so now I, you know, can see even the emotional flashbacks, um, they can be pretty intense. And I used to just think I was being sad or, you know, it's just me feeling lonely in my apartment. No, you know, now I realize that I was having these physical reactions to the trauma or, you know, their cellular memory. A lot of trauma can be stored in the fascia. You know, so now I go to my fascial release sessions um, so it's really intriguing because, you know, the more I learn, uh, you know, the more I find tools to help myself live a more full life and the more I want to learn about the topic. And so it's great that the medical community is taking it more seriously now. Now, switching gears just a little bit, um, one thing I'm really curious and excited to ask you about is that you had a lot of really big achievements through all of this, like your bachelor's degree, your master's degree, your doctor's degree, getting a job as a professor, some of the wonderful things you did in the entertainment industry. And did you ever stop and like recognize and celebrate that success? Or were you just like always focused on that next big achievement? Well, uh, when I was a runway model, and you talk about this, you know, epiphany that I had uh, after a television appearance, and I talked about it in my book, you know, I just realized that, you know, you need to be proud of yourself for at least two days. And then the next day, I already found myself beating myself up. 
and you know, where am I going to get the next job? Where's the next paycheck coming from? So I definitely think that there was, um, you know, performance mentality going on where, you know, I was getting a lot of my good feeling or self-worth about my, you know, value uh, from, you know, external accomplishments. And then I would achieve this and there would be a family to celebrate with and, you know, really wasn't having that relationship with God be the priority. My career was the priority at first. And I, justify that and rationalize it by well I have to take care of myself and I definitely had a working mentality and a, you know something they talk about in church and you know just a you know survival mentality when you know, really the more I put my faith in God and the more I trust God the more he provides and the more I find his promises are true and that you know God loves me um, you know, for me, not for all the things that I accomplish, you know, that those are great, but yeah, just yes. learning to, you know, take time to celebrate and be proud of myself and, you know, enjoy the journey, not always be striving to arrive at the next destination. And I feel like this is such a good point to just deep dive a little bit more into your book. Cause I, I feel like your book is like your heart's work or like something that God's like put in you and it's come out from that space. This isn't just like a book that you wrote, but this is like you on paper. Is that right? I really just wanted to share an overall theme and message of hope through the book. Um, you know, that, you know, raised in a, a strict church. My mom actually joined a one of school uh, when I was about 10. And so when I left, Home, I also left my church and my support system and it was very ingrained in me that you know it's based on your performance you know you're standing with God and I know that's not true now and I just realized that that's spiritual abuse and that that has been in itself very damaging to me and you know talked to several women that have left the cult as well and you know they just had sort of an oppressive attitude towards women and children and uh, you know kind of condoned my mom's abuse and and made me the, you know, prodigal daughter, you know, I didn't respect my mother or didn't obey my mother when really I was being, you know, abused to the point of fearing for my life. So um, that's something that I've gained is a freedom, you know, through, through understanding God's love and grace. And that's, you know, something I want to share with people, um, you know, just, just God's love for you. Uh, you know, some of the things that you've shown me along the way, um, in my walk with him, you know, it, it's just that, you know, God knows us individually. He knows us, you know, in a special way that no one else can know us. He's been there through everything. And so, you know, a lot of my spiritual journals I kept, you know, it, it just all came back to my mind when I wrote the book. So, you know, I did hire an office coach because, you know, it was something that God put on my heart back in 2011 when I was living in California. And it took me eight years to finally you know, get past this obstacle that I think I was, you know, afraid of retaliation or, um, you know, what would people think of me? And I just realized that, you know, we're, we're just here to please God. And if I'm, you know, helping someone learn from my story, um, that's my purpose. I really feel like everything just came together. You know, I was able to share through my career, um, you know, the journey that I went on through completing my higher education, um, becoming a professor. So I teach writing and music-related subjects now so I can share that passion 
but it was almost like a form of therapy in itself. I maybe you've heard of narrative therapy, and I was always intrigued by um, writing therapy in different ways. You know, there's therapeutic writing, like poetry therapy, music therapy, people have heard of that. But, um, you know, just the practice of you know, putting my story into words was healing in itself. You know, I, I saw that God had been there all along. I saw all the times that he intervened. And it was really uh, healing. And I feel like every time I read it myself, I, I feel a little stronger and more empowered. And I hope that, you know, someone can take that away from the book. And I just realized one day before I finally bit the bullet and <laughs> put the deposit down to pay my author coach and take this three-month class where they launch authors uh you know, I thought, should I do this? And I thought, you know, if I even help one person, it's going to be worth it. Awesome. I'm just so grateful that you you did that and that you mentioned the fact that it took some time because sometimes people look at success stories and just think like, oh, that was so easy. But there's always this big, long story behind that success. Yes, definitely. Well, as we move into taking a closer look at your story, what would you say changed about you the most from this experience that you've been through? Um, I definitely have a lot of compassion for uh, women that are, you know, struggling, you know, with abuse, you know, one resource that was really helpful to me in my 20s as I started to correlate, you know, the unhealthy dynamic that I've been involved with and what seemed normal to me as an adult, you know, I was not noticing the subtle abuse, the psychological, you know, emotional abuse, could be financial abuse. And I just thought, well, this person's not beating me up. This is a walk in the park compared to what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, there's the book by Lundy Bancroft called Why Did You Do That? Inside the Minds of Controlling and Abusive Men. And, of course, you know, women can be abusive too. But this is actually a therapist who has worked with abusers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe 2,000 people that he's helped um, roughly – um, but basically, he wrote a book based on his research and findings, and, you know, he's, he's got this book, and I've actually bought copies for different women who, you know, I came across in my friendships or just everyday life because, you know, I'd hear them tell these stories, and they're like, you know, that's abuse, though. You know, that's abusive, and I didn't realize that, you know, I was in a relationship when I was 24 where there was a lot of verbal abuse. Uh, my best friend was married to someone who was abusive, and I, you know, said, look at this, and I took it, and uh, you know, highlighted everything that my boyfriend would do, everything her husband would do. And look at this. I didn't even know this was abuse. And so really I wish that, you know, society had a you know broader understanding of, you know, all the nuances and all the different forms of abuse. Like I mentioned spiritual abuse earlier. You know, um, it's not just, you know, the person that ends up in the emergency room, although the statistics on that are horrifying. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who stay in relationships that can break down their self-esteem mm-hmm. and uh, you know sometimes in my industry um fighting against the system so, you know if we can you know notice that and stop it every time it gets easier every time to stand up for yourself and not accept abuse and then you know i feel like it has a ripple effect and it could you know change things for women Absolutely. And I'll link that book as well as yours and everything mentioned into the show notes at synergymindsetcoaching.com backslash Kayleen. And they can find it just in case, you know, someone's driving or jogging or something right now. 
as we move into the next question, can you share with us one of your personal habits that contributed to your overcoming the complex PTSD? Just taking it, you know, and making that the priority, my health. Um, you know, it's really easy to set financial goals or you know, education goals and it's this finite thing. But, you know, there is the mind-body-spirit connection. For instance, I will, you know, make sure that I take time out for me, you know, time to be outside, um, time to relax. It silly as sounds, you know, bubbles up with candles. You'd be surprised how much just a nice Epsom salt bath, you know, my physical uh, therapist had recommended it. Yeah. And, you know, put some relaxing music on, and it's almost like <laughs> sometimes you just don't want to slow down. Sometimes it feels like a job to set time aside. But, yeah, I mean, just you know, setting goals up. I'm going to do my physical therapy exercise every morning. I'm going to take the bath at least three times this week so that I, you know, slow down, um, you know, my stress rate. And, you know, doing things for yourself, like even if it's something small, like I like to go to the coffee shop or, um, you know, I like to go to concerts. And I just get so much joy out of that. And I can just get a new cycle where I don't want to take a day off. And um, I really feel like that's where I got into adrenal fatigue and um, exhaustion, which is a lot of the health issues that I faced, you know, underneath the complex PTSD umbrella. Um, but, you know, a lot of it started with self-care and, you know, making it your goal to you know, live the healthiest life possible, you know, um, it's really sounds like I got a pill counter, you know, an organizer so that I don't forget to take my medicine morning and night, my vitamins, and, you know, basically just working with the doctors to find out, um, you know, how I can be the most productive. And I really feel like, you know, applying that to my health has, has definitely made a change because it's, it's easy for us to say, well, I went to work today for a time. I did what I was supposed to do. But, you know, did you smile? Did you laugh? Did you, you know, remember to breathe? <laughs> so it's really just making sure that you have that mind-body-spirit connection, um, you know, at the forefront of your mind. That sounds like some good wisdom. Can you share with us a resource, like a podcast or a book, that you wouldn't have made it through without? Um, I definitely feel like Music Health Alliance has been helpful. It's a nonprofit here in Nashville that they do serve. Um, you know, audiences all over America. Um, they're basically, you know, a company that helps musicians. A lot of them are touring and they work on contracts they may not have, um, you know, health insurance provided by their employers, self-employed a lot of times. And that really helps them get, you know, a higher level of care. So um, Music Cares is a nonprofit of the Grammys as well. And, you know, they help me with some situations, um, you know, when I needed hospital bill paid for, or, you know, I needed just night driving glasses, they have eye clinics and hearing clinics, and so, you know, there's nonprofits out there to help musicians like me that are, you know, trying to make it that aren't quite there yet, and so, you know, coming on the other side of that, you know, I teach at, you know, a wonderful university, um, I want to share that with my students, and it's just a great resource. That sounds Amazing. And I'm sad to say our time's coming to an end as we enter into the grand finale. 
You have been a wonderful guest and shared with us such personal stories, which people can just really connect with. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. Oh, so glad to have you. And before we say goodbye, can you just tell us what's good in your life right now and where can people find you if they want to connect with you on the web? You know, even though I am single, um, I don't have any children yet, um, I'm not married, I really feel that my friends are just such a blessing. Um, I have friends all over me. Even in Canada, <laughs> I have friends in different cities and states, and uh, throughout my travels or my career endeavors, I've come across them. And, you know, they've just been, um, you know, my family of choice. And um, I just feel like, you know, they inspire me, they cheer me on, uh, they believe I can reach my dreams and make them come true. So that helps me to keep reaching for them. You can find my uh, information on drkimmon.com. There's a lot more links there, or you could go straight to Amazon to find my book, When Mirror Shatters, You Ready to Be Baby, uh, to find my music, Focus the Bio, and links to all the different resources are at my personal website. Awesome. And for those of you that are listening, if something she said has just really connected with you, hop onto that social media and give her a shout out. Let her know like what it was because when you do these interviews, you don't know what connects with people and it's just so great to hear. And everything again, you can find at synergymindsetcoaching.com slash K-A-Y-L-E-N-E. 